Welcome to the Motoring Podcast, your weekly discussion of motoring news. This is episode 367 on Tuesday, the 24th of November, 2020. Hello, I'm Alan. Hello, I'm Andrew. And in a week where I think I'll cry if technology messes me around one more time, we'll be asking if these silly levels of ignorance over the 2030 deadline can just go away, please. We'll be wondering what headline writers will now do after an official report into the causes of motoring incidents is released and we hopefully get to close the circle on silly EV records. But first, we have two bits of follow-up. And I shall start with the first, which is the continuation of the global tour of the Carlos Ghosn book tour. Uh, No, sorry. No, no, it's not that. It's not that. We haven't got that far. No, what it is, is that Carlos Ghosn's predicament has been reviewed (laughs) reviewed by (laughs) experts for the UN and they have declared that Japan's treatment of him was fundamentally unfair. They have also stated that Japan should do the right thing by compensating, or the appropriate remedy would be to, and I'm quoting here, would be to accord Mr. Gon an enforceable right to compensation and other reparations in accordance with international law. Japan has, you will probably have guessed, not reacted in complete agreement with this uh, review. Because this is a a bunch of five, I think it is, I say a bunch, five experts that have got together and discussed this for the UN. But it's not legally binding. However, it apparently will and does affect reputation Mm -hmm. in the international community. Japan has said that they didn't have the full facts. They shouldn't be making comments on this case. They don't know what they're talking about and they don't understand Japanese legal system. So pretty much just going no. <laughs> well, one thing about this was that was that, that that same committee were very clear to to say that they that they weren't commenting on the allegations which led to the four arrests, the six months incarceration, and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, absolutely. This was just purely his treatment. Yes. So you can click through on the show notes to read more about that if you like. Mm-hmm. Come on, Alan. One thing we do encourage you to click through the show notes for the story is that just after naturally. Well, no, just before the podcast came out last week, actually, the government did uh, announce its phasing out of petrol and diesel-engined cars in 2030 and 2035. Yep. And then there was much hullabaloo on the social media, which is still going on just now. Which seemed to be regurgitating the hullabaloo over the weekend. (laughs) Oh, I know. Exactly, which was the same hullabaloo, but continued, which was just ridiculous. Basically, the outcome of all of this, we recommend that you go and you look at the motoring research article. The important thing to realize is that internal combustion engine cars that already exist will not all of a sudden stop working, (laughs) nor will petrol stations magically just disappear overnight. Nor will people come and put your vehicle on the back of a flat. Flat Flatbed, towed away and crush it. So get over it. <laughs> but if you do want the actual things, because it can be quite confusing, because I'm just scared I misspeak, uh, then do, from the show notes, go to the Motoring Research article by Richard Orcock. Yes. Uh, all about it, which is pure fact. No speculation, no opinion, pure fact. Just the facts. Ma'am. It's very good. Talking of facts, I'm going to move on to some new news, and we'll start with the rumour that began in Germany, thanks to a apparently respected German automotive magazine that had uh, a comment 
about how Nissan had apparently made a decision to shut their Sunderland plant. Hmm. Now, Nissan have finally been spoken to in Sunderland. The Sunderland Echo, which is what we're linking to, has managed to get hold of them. And Nissan have confidently and completely refuted this rumour that they are shutting the Sunderland plant. That is not to say that it is going to remain like that forever and ever, but they are refuting that rumour that came out from Germany. Mm -hmm. Good. It's another one ticked off the list of things to things to stop people panicking about for the time being. <laughs> yes. <laughs> a story came out earlier on in the week, which I found uh, I found kind of curious, uh, and it, it's JLR, so Jaguar Land Rover, and it has filed a complaint with the U.S. International Trade Commission in an attempt to ban imports of the Audi Q8, the Q7, the Q5, the A6 Allroad e-tron the lamborghini urus the porsche Cayenne, and the tiguan as well say into the u.s and the basis for this complaint and this attempted in, in sort of injunction is is that they're saying that volkswagen group have infringed upon upon their patent for terrain response so terrain response system was introduced with the Discovery 3, and it is a way of twiddling a little knob, choosing between a number of different modes, which in turn make the electronics, the diff, the transmission perform some form of witchcraft that makes it most suitable for the type of terrain that you have that you have chosen. Yep. So they're they're trying to say actually this is this is ours this is protected by a patent we're going to defend that patent and yes we would like uh, as part of that we would like uh, these products to not be sold in the US we've seen this before this is very similar to the Apple Samsung cases that went on for a long long time. Mm where one side was saying, no, you must stop selling this in the US. And the other side went, no, you must stop selling this in the US. Uh, and it all got very, very silly. But nobody, I don't think, ever actually stopped selling anything. No. What JLR want out of this isn't for them to not sell the vehicles. They want them to sell loads of them. But they want a license fee. Yes. So this is getting back to the whole licensing of technology in vehicles again. I mean, this one, is, this, this one isn't via a third party. Yeah. Seems to be the way to make money in automotive industry these days is to have the license with none of you, you lose the hassle then of <laughs> everything else they're just purely copying the tech industry mm. that that's where this has all come from yeah so yeah that's that's the sort of background oh they're more and more becoming just cut computers on wheels ha <laughs> oh don't go there <laughs> we'll come to that again later yes I'm going to move us on and this... Road incidents. Yes, road incidents, motion research. This is an article from John Redfern has written up about this. Uh, it is really interesting because it's taken data from police reports following them attending and dealing with road incidents and collisions. And the figures have been broken down to... What has been the contributory factors for 2019? And just to run through the list, we we start uh, with the with vehicle defect, other visibility, road environment, pedestrians, impairment, injudicious action, driver behaviour, and driver error. And by a comfortable country mile, driver error 
as in 66% of uh, incidents where the police attended, the driver error was a contributory factor. That doesn't mean, by the way, that all the other ones squeezed into the remaining 34%. It was possible to have more than one contributory factor per accident recorded. So, yeah. Absolutely. So after that was driver behavior, which is about 23%. And then fairly close behind that was injudicious action. Now, injudicious action is interesting because in that is speeding. Now, as anyone who's listened to us for some time knows, we have a bit of a a bit of a thing when speeding is mentioned as the, it seems to be put down as enemy number one when it comes to road incidents and collisions. And mm-hmm. we've always said we think that that is mainly because it's easy to quantify and it makes a snappy headline. Whereas driver error or someone being an idiot isn't quite as snappy and easy to quantify and put on a headline on a newspaper article and have the same impact. So, yes, speeding is an issue because if you go down to fatal road incidents, the contributing factor, then injudicious action does climb climb up the chart in terms of figures, but it's still nowhere near driver error. As, yeah. as one of the contributory factors. So I do thoroughly encourage you to read through this because it's a really interesting article and it is really interesting to see how they break this information down as well. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, it's it's kind of tricky to read as percentages some of the time because it's all because of the way it's it's been quoted. Yeah, it's, it's easier just to look at figures, <laughs> the overalls. Yeah, Absolutely. Oh, just hang on a moment, uh, ladies and gentlemen. I do need to hand us over to our e-scooter reporter, who is fortunately for his own sake not out in the field this time to come to us with news, breaking news. <laughs> really? Yes. I've got to have some fun. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Prices of e-scooter rentals. You remember a couple of months ago now? Seems like an age ago. I went off to Milton Keynes, rode some e-scooters. If you want to, there's, uh, the video is on the YouTube. The video and the podcast are both linked in the show notes. Ah, even better. So you can take your pick. One of the things I said was it was kind of quite expensive and sat on its own. It was a bit hard to work out just how much it was always going to cost. And so the folks, the good folks at uh, Mind the Zag, which is all about e-scooters they have tried to quantify the price per minute cost and the unlock cost of all the different providers in all the different locations across the uk the takeaway for me is it's almost impossible to compare (laughs) provider to provider (laughs) without an awful lot of advanced mathematics yes it looks like wind in nottingham is the cheapest and spin in Milton Keynes is the most expensive, but that actually isn't quite right because that's completely, well, that's not even completely ignoring the unlocking fee. The unlocking fee, of course, is the how much you pay up front before you've even started moving the scooter to, to unlock it. And then, of course, there's the per minute cost on top of that. 
It's worth a little look, even if you're a skeptic. I mean, they have gone through and tried to compare everything, but actually what that made me happen was that my sort of eyes swiveled back into my head and I, I just sort of lost the ability to track uh, <laughs> what was going on. It just just made it even more complicated, despite the author's best intentions on that. One thing I do want to highlight about this is that pretty much all of these providers have a per minute fee mm. it's all about time so even stuff like ginger where it's a two pound unlocking fee but then you get 20 minutes worth of use included in that two pounds then it's 20 minutes it's not a certain distance and there's a little line towards the end saying that london's newly published e-scooter trial tender calls for new approaches to pricing to prevent mad dashes across <laughs> city centers <laughs> Which is why a model like Gingers are a per mile rate may instead feature. Yeah. So they don't want people, and this is actually really quite a salient point. They want it to be per distance because they don't want people making less safe decisions as they ride the scooter in order to save them 15 or 20 pence at each set of traffic lights, at each, you know, and that can add up. I'm just thinking. You know, there's that video was out a few years ago of the bloke who got off the tube and sprinted to catch it at the next station. Uh, yeah, in Glasgow, you can do it between Buchanan Street and uh, and uh, Centino. I just feel that it would be that sort of situation that the, the, it would encourage people to go, ooh, I bet we can beat this thing. Apart from the people going, oh, I want to save 50p mm. and whatever, and they're all suddenly hunkered down trying to be aerodynamically... <laughs> <laughs> and other daft things that'll happen which make them even harder to spot as they crouch down how fast can you get from leicester square to charing cross or something yes <laughs> hunkered down through charing cross road and then across trafalgar square yeah no no i, I can't i can't see why that could ever go wrong no. I, I thought that that was a really interesting line on on the end of that I, I, what I, I think it shows, and what I, what I certainly hope, is that because America has been trying to do this for a while, mm. these companies and the legislators have got a bit of a head start. It's not like we're coming into this cold with no one having done this, so we don't know what yeah. potential problems are. So that fills me with a bit more confidence in the whole idea. I'm still not convinced that as a replacement form of regular transport, that it's that great. It would really depend on those monthly or seasonal tickets that you can or will be able to buy and how economical they are. Yeah, and that's a good reminder. Thank you. Prices compared in this are the sort of the casual vend prices as opposed to if you have gone out and said, well, I want a monthly unlimited pass which actually means five journeys a day yeah uh, on that i still think they're cool i still think they've got a place in a trans in public transport system but i don't yet feel that they are part of an integrated public transport system no what i also believe is i i think that they will open more people's eyes to the idea of not driving not catching the bus mm. not catching the tube or grabbing a cab so yeah. because it is such a new type of transport, oh scooters, yeah, and then that will hopefully get people thinking, well, maybe I could take the bike or walk 
or do something mm. else. So whilst scooters themselves may not fully benefit from all these people, alternative forms of transport will, or yes. more active transport will. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Agreed. Anyway, over to Bloomberg and our urban future. Yes. Bloomberg City Lab, which is a, a thing that they have where they look at some really big picture issues and they try and get into some information and it's they've usually got some quite interesting stuff. Yeah, I, I find Bloomberg Bloomberg is very variable. It's a bit like BuzzFeed. <laughs> They're gonna love that thing. Yeah, BuzzFeed. You can most of it is like listicles, you know, you never believe you never believe the pandemic pandemic at number seven, but then there's also some really good thought pieces appear in BuzzFeed. Yeah. Then much of Bloomberg is closer to the listicles, but then there's bits like the City Lab stuff, which I almost always find interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sorry. That's a terrible aside, but. No, no, because, no, I agree, because, yeah, some of their day to day reporting isn't greatest, but this this stuff is. And what they've what they've done is they've looked at the pandemic uh, travel patterns across the globe um, using data from. Uh, things like TomTom, Mapbox, and Apple's Mobility Index. So it shows how people got about, when they did, and how they did it. Now, this is only snapshots. This is not, obviously, a full set of data from everybody that did anything, because that would be impossible uh, until our great overlords give us tracking chips in the back of our necks uh, and all the rest of it that my tinfoil hat cannot protect us from. So this is just a snapshot, but I think it's, it's, a, it's a really good indicator of how things, of how people got around and how that changed. Uh, and because it's interesting how they talk or how it shows that cars actually, which is something we knew, but cars took a jump following lockdowns in various, uh, various cities and urban areas across the, across the globe. There is, by the way, a caveat that there isn't, that not, every type of travel could be logged in every city yeah yes yeah, so that's probably where the taipei thing happens anyway yeah taipei's the really yeah. that stands out but also they go on and look at um how busy certain roads were as well uh, during uh, rush hours and how that changed over certain times these are live you'll see live diagrams running through a timeline and that's that's fascinating I mean, i'm just for example i'm looking at, at seattle running through and how that was really busy and then it just drops off to virtually nothing. Yeah, um, not, not quite as much as Milan. Yeah, Milan. If you ever had to had to deal with Milan normally in the traffic there, then actually what happened just at the end of February, at about the, there we are, the 13th of March, it just, that was when they'd locked down because of course I've got you know, friends and colleagues in Milan. Um, but it talks about uh, bicycles, and then it talks about how uh, the environment is affected. You sort of the air and the, how skies cleaned up, and all that sort of stuff. So, if we didn't have a cracking lunchtime read, this would be a lunchtime read. Yeah, because it's it, closer to a lunchtime it's, read. It's than a chunky just about one. Anything else? But I, I found it really fascinating because I think this is the sort of information that will be used to help or that policy will be decided upon with the help of such such data particularly as all urban areas or most urban areas in developed worlds are looking to reduce their 
air or improve their air quality, reduce the air pollution, reduce congestion. So if they can find ways and see how people did get around without using cars and things like that, what what can be done, mm-hmm. then they will go for it. And hopefully it isn't just, as we've as we've said many times, it isn't just, oh, we'll tax you extra. You know, thought is put in. Because it goes on to explain as well how uh, cities are putting in bike paths, which I know in London is, we've covered that as well, is a very oh, emotive... Times emotive subject and particularly with the low low traffic neighborhoods so mm-hmm. do go and read this i, I really do recommend it because it, it is it is really well written and it's fascinating to see what happened elsewhere in the world yeah it, it's really nicely multi-dimensional yes it is it is okay just uh, associated with that official figures have also come out for uh, the uk on uh, lockdown light or lockdown two whatever we're going to call it and how road use is down 30 percent in that one so mm-hmm. my takeaway from that and it was something that i sort of casually observed near me is either every child in the country was being driven by a parent or People were ignoring it, or there is an awful lot more workplaces that need people to be in rather than working from home than we potentially thought. I think what's happening, uh, and this is borne out by by reading this article, what's happening is, of course, people are then, there's far more taking the kids to school and all that kind of stuff. So local traffic in towns where we see it has not decreased as much as longer distance travel between towns and cities. Yeah. That seems to be the big difference. So that's where most of that delta is. So even if you look out the window and think it doesn't look like there's that much decrease here, then there might not be, it's especially not, you know, where I live, I live near an industrial estate, lots of uh, manufacturing, yeah. lots of food manufacturing. So, people are still having to go to work because you can't make Weetabix from home. Yes. And so there is still traffic to and from to and from there. But longer distance stuff is 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 not just not happening. Mm-hmm. Yep. Would you like to uh, take us to Massachusetts, please? <laughs> yeah, Boston's meant to be quite nice. I was meant to be spending some time there this year, but that didn't happen, funnily enough. But in Massachusetts, residents voted in a referendum which requires auto manufacturers to grant vehicle owners and third-party repair shops access to wireless data needed to fix cars. This is all tied in with the right-to-repair laws that people are trying to introduce to protect manufacturers of all sorts of things from locking the the objects they manufacture right down so that only they can fix them yep in this case it is uh, this article mentions tesla an awful lot it's not just tesla that this covers obviously no but they have particularly taken advantage of their status and yeah how they've chosen to approach this law in the first place yes tesla particularly because they don't have dealerships 
because they have shops and storefronts and do it online, they have been always able to get around the owning a garage um, type part of Massachusetts laws in in the past. Uh, suppose that they now will actually sell service manuals. That's very big of them. Yes, but they don't actually sell tools that let other people fix their carts. So if you go along, you can actually go out and buy a BMW or a Porsche scan tool that will interface with a BMW, a Porsche, and all the software updates for it. They're not they're not cheap, by the way. No. But you can, if you are a garage and if you, you know, have a VAT number and something and can prove that you're, you know, you are you are a competent person to hold this kit, then you can you can buy the, the stuff from the manufacturers. Yeah. But that hasn't been possible before. The access to the to the telematic data is is actually quite important because that in theory should mean that you can sort of start to rather than having to use the OBD OBD ports, then you can actually do it from your mobile from something which will link up to the Bluetooth uh, or the Wi-Fi hotspot in your that's built into cars uh, to transfer this kind of stuff. Uh, many of the large large uh, motor companies spent a lot of time trying to get residents to vote no and a lot of money and a lot of money uh so general motors toyota ford uh, as well just what i haven't said is how is what the margin was by which they voted that yes they would like uh, access to this information it was 75 percent in favor of this yes okay so this was no 5248 job no uh, this was really quite quite a clear majority. Yes, absolutely. So this, the reason we're covering this, which is of course an American story, is because this has a knock on effect across across not just the U.S. but across the world. Uh, right at the minute, it's only in in Massachusetts, but the whole right to repair stuff is really really important. And you know, we talked about twenty thirty and all these things earlier on. It's important for being able to to maintain uh, vehicles going forward. Right. Shall we move on? I'll take us to Australia. It's truth. Yes. And normally we don't cover Australian news, but it ties in again with another issue that we've been discussing recently, and that is um, what what the, does a government or state do about losing out on income with EVs? Because the current systems that all countries have in place does not actually take into account something that is zero emission or virtually zero emission. So how do how do states and governments make any money off this and therefore be able to keep the roads paved, etc., etc., which is obviously all they ever use the money for, is to make mm. sure that the driving environment is as good as it could be. Well, Victoria have decided that they will go out on a bit of a limb here and tax electric vehicle owners for road usage. Now, this has caused a bit of consternation because they're also going to be doing this for uh, hybrid, uh, plug-in hybrids mm -hmm. as well. It's caused a bit of consternation because almost every other area of the, of the world that is trying to get EVs as part of, you know, a significant portion of their road um, traffic are putting incentives down. But Victoria has decided, no, we can see this problem coming up. We're going to go into charging people to who have got EVs now, maybe to get them yes. used to it. 
Yeah, well, th- th- it's worth mentioning that their rate is 2.5 cents per kilometer mm. is what they're going to charge. Now, somehow they're going to track people are, are the, the distance they're driving. Now, 2.5 Australian cents per kilometer is is very low. 15 cents is 8 pence. So it's about a penny a kilometer. Mm. Uh, so it's not a crazy large amount the, the what's weird though is it's two and a half cents per kilometer for electric and other zero emission vehicles and it's only two cents per kilometer to plug-in hybrids but the plug-in hybrids in turn are paying you know you've got to pay for the the, the petrol or diesel well petrol really for those and of course they're still getting the taxation from the whatever the australian equivalent of fuel duty is yeah one one of the argument along those lines though what you're you're saying there the 2.5 uh what someone has made clear is you know if somebody's buying a really expensive electric vehicle like a taycan or a, a tesla they're not going to be put off by a couple of hundred dollars as it's australia a, a year and road use charges no and it's it's really. interesting that they are acclimatizing users to that now so early in the rebirth of electric vehicles really as mm. a mainstream um viability but the 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 government is expecting to raise about 30 million dollars a year from this they're also saying that that revenue will be more than offset by 45 million dollars a year in the next budget for measures to encourage electric car use such as creating and installing more charging stations this one here i think that the headline is more alarming than what they say they are or are going to be doing yeah i think it swings and roundabouts i think your point about the couple of hundred dollars a year which i think it's probably going to be more than a couple of hundred i suppose it is about a couple of hundred dollars a year in road user charges i would make that trade-off mm. i would probably pay it yeah i mean it, it, it depends on how it's done and like i say mm. i just found it interesting that at a time when virtually every other government and state and legislator is going oh we'll give you money off to have one of these they are getting in there early of what is inevitably going to happen in some way or form and if you get in there early and low like this Mm. then it makes the inevitable increases uh, a bit more palatable because we were discussing the the pay to drive model that the uh, treasury is really strongly looking at well they're considering yeah listening looking at quotes they're very they're quite keen on it but they don't know how they can get us to swallow it because it you know change yeah. is very bad in britain as we've demonstrated recently well change is very badly handled yeah. in britain I think. yes both sides but if it was something as you know sensible as you know 5p a mile or two and a half p a mile that's quite high but if there's no petrol tax Oh, okay, fair enough. If, yeah, if the petrol tax is removed at that point, or the fuel tax is removed, and we we jump to a purely pay to drive, mm-hmm. that's and you know maybe there's a discount for people who do long work mileage or something. You know, whatever it is, done that it yeah. it might it might be more palatable for us to accept. There's mm-hmm. always going to be losers, whatever the changes are. There's always going to be losers, and there'll always be winners. But over time it'll turn out that we all lose whatever system is <laughs> yeah yeah thank you for that only the government wins we know that it's like you know if you go into a casino death and taxes <laughs> yeah right on that cheery note i think that's the end of the first part yeah, thanks for that <laughs>
Oh, I'm really glad to be following that uh, with Guilt Minute, of course, the quick break in the show where we ask for a tad of financial support to keep the lights on and the hosting running. Uh, if you feel the Motoring Podcast is worth a small consideration every month, then you can become a patron and different levels include different levels of commitment from us to you, uh, including being able to watch the show recorded live if you're a complete and total masochist. Uh, we have a small range of merchandise available as well. It's on our website and our Teespring store. Uh, from stickers to mugs and t-shirts. If you don't have any spare cash, especially in 2020, uh, we completely understand. And you can help help us by subscribing for free from a podcast player to receive every show as they're released and by liking and rating the show in whatever way your podcast supplier lets you. If you've done all of that, and some of you do, so thank you very much, then the last thing you can do is recommend us to your friends and colleagues. And it's quite nice to see on uh, the social medias when people are saying, oh, I've run out of podcasts. And then many people then tag us in there as well. That That's lovely. Thank you so much. That works as well. Thank you very much. That is You're greatly appreciated. Awesome. Right. Take lead us into the dark of Formula E. The first Formula E night race has been announced. Woohoo. Woo! Yes, quite. And it should be in Saudi Arabia. It'll be in the Diria night race, which is good because, quite frankly, the scenery surrounding previous Formula E races in Saudi Arabia has been uninspiring. <laughs> yeah, it should be kind of should be kind of cool. Uh, so the aim is to obviously keep the that uh, zero carbon using low consumption LED technology. Uh, to light up the track. Uh, I noticed that it says in here somewhere, oh, the remaining energy needed to power the floodlight can be fully renewable, provided by high-performing, low-carbon certified hydrogenated vegetable oil made from sustainable materials. Someone at some point is going to take a picture of the generators running on that vegetable oil and declare them to be diesel. Yes. That, that, that's my prediction for yep, this. Absolutely. That's the only thing we can be certain of in all of this. Yep. Then we will sit there and go, nope, it's vegetable oil. The other thing is there should be illuminated halo device bits mm -hmm. on the cars as well. So not just lit up nicely, which is always kind of cool to see in Formula One as well, but also the cars should have illumination and should hopefully look a lot like sort of something out of Tron. Yes. Or something which is quite cool, I think. Something something that's occurred to me with Formula E and the the new season that'll be starting in January, isn't it? It's January yes. for Chile. Yes, yes. Yeah, the middle of January. Sixteenth and seventeenth. These ones, these illuminated ones, will be uh, the twenty sixth and twenty seventh of February. Yeah, I'm I'm curious whether they will keep for maintaining viewers and the rest of it. Uh, during um, different times of the race weekends, whether they'll continue to do the e-racing they were doing when there was no other racing at all, mm. because Pass. because they they can there's still um, you know a, a vast vast horde of e-racers they can take advantage of who won't actually be racing, so that form of potential controversy could be removed, <laughs> and they could it can just be the specialists of e-racing doing. Formula E racing while, you know, in, I'm just thinking between practice sessions and, mm -hmm. uh, and qualifying and stuff like that. It's quite possible. They always had at the actual physical races, then in the fan zone, there were always Sims mm. there. And then some of the drivers did race there as well in between. 
uh, against fans or against semi-pros and stuff. So there's no reason why that kind of thing can't be taken online as well. Apart from there was quite a few accidents, which I think some of that was down to a lot of people were not used to doing e-racing, online racing as much mm. as anything. But the, the commentary side of things seemed to work quite well with it. And that went, uh, yeah. and they did get decent viewership uh, mm-hmm. at the time. So maybe I, I would, I would presume that the powers that be, because Formula E is not uh, a series that is backwards in trying to add to, to themselves forwards, yeah. and to and to make the spectator element of it even more interesting. They always have done. It's one. Of, it's been one of the aims since right at the start with Formula E. Yeah, and they've got big competition this year with that Extreme E. Yeah, so they'll be jumping on everything that they think they possibly can. Yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. but there's one more bit of uh, Formula E news, isn't there? Well, yes, someone else is rejoining the competition, uh, and that is Tom Blomqvist. Uh, he'll be joining the Neo three 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 team. Talking of Tron style cars, mm. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah, Tom Blomqvist is son of Stig Blomqvist, the the original Stig, but he's not new to Formula E. He raced in the 2017-2018 Formula E season with Andretti team. Uh, he replaced Kamui Kobayashi uh, and was teammate to Antonio Felix da Costa. Uh, he's also done some TV punditry in the Berlin Epri last year when Dario Franchitti was taking part in the Indy 500. So that's him getting back in a Formula E car, although it's, of course, a different car these days. Yeah, yeah. He doesn't have to leap out now. No, well, that's true. Yeah, yeah. go right the way through. Yeah. Uh, rallying. Rallying, yes. And this is the, what I frankly think is excellent news, that uh, Seb Ogier will be still with uh, Toyota Gazoo Racing in 2021. So the ridiculously finned Toyota Yaris will still have uh, Ogier, one of the best rally drivers of all time behind the mm-hmm. wheel helping to move the car forward move the team forward which will, obviously that will be their first full season as toyota gazoo officially won't it that's true yeah yeah i think you you would pay just for his experience alone let alone the fact he's still quick enough to be right up the front fighting for the championship mm-hmm um, so that that would uh, that seems like a no brainer if they could have made it happen. Yeah. And plus, I think with this being such a shortened and truncated season, he's not going to have the the fatigue from it of thinking, "Oh God, not another season type thing." He's no, he'll have gone. Actually, I really miss it because I couldn't do it for so long. Well, I think it's the other way around. I don't want it to be the short season where I get don't get to do all the things that I really like. Yeah. I really have enjoyed over the years in WRC. So, so no, do it, do it for another year. Yeah, uh, we've got another. There's another potential thing for people to get involved in this weekend, isn't there, Alan? Yeah, there is. It's it's one of the the revs events uh, essentially. Uh, so this is the revs garagistas is the theme, which is taking place over this weekend, uh, and it's all about people making, doing, building. Tweaking, perfecting, vaguely sorting stuff in their own garage. It'll be on Facebook as ever. The idea of these, of course, is not just that we all get to enjoy them, but also it's a way of raising money for Mission Mode Sport. So if you enjoy what you see, 
and what's going to be available on Facebook, then do shove a couple of quid in the direction of Mission Motorsport. There will be plenty of ways to do that. Uh, well, you'll be reminded of them uh, over the course of, of the weekend. Yep. Good luck to everyone involved in that. It, it will no doubt be fantastic. Is it going to be you showing yourself trying to glue a headliner up onto a Mercedes by any no, chance? No, we'll see what, see what happens. I might have other things I need to do. Okay. Uh, but no, no, I didn't. I <laughs> wasn't. No, no. I'm, I'm trying not to film that stuff, partly because it's, it's still for enjoyment. In theory, it could be a YouTube channel, but then there's plenty of other people who do that far better. Okay. But Andrew, this is my favorite story of the week, bizarrely. But yeah. I did say that the City Labs would be our uh, lunchtime read if we didn't have an absolute stonker of a lunchtime read. It's so good that Alan and I were talking about it before we pressed record and I was and I was still waxing lyrical about it because I thought it was so mm. so good and uh, and Alan was agreeing. But this is from the Porsche newsroom and it is titled Driving Thoughts, The Psychological Benefits of Driving. And this is from Professor Lynn Pierce who has for more than 20 years been writing about driving and the effects on us of driving. And the thing is I don't want to say too much more because you need to read it and I don't want to I don't want to ruin it or dumb it down in any way because this is absolutely superb and if there was ever an article that sums mm -hmm. up the motoring podcast and rear view and our our interest in cars that it isn't just oh look there's a piece of metal with four rubber tires this is what it's about this is why we Alan and I chat about cars and why you we think a lot of you listen as well it's I know most of you stay for the spreadsheet of doom but there are a few of you who as well <laughs> I would burn the spreadsheet of doom if I had my way but I'm not allowed to because he likes it <laughs> yeah I can see you can't take too much away from me <laughs> <laughs> but this is a superb article and I am fascinated to learn more about what Professor Limpius uh, has done in the past and, and read more of her work. The great thing about this is there's a really nice article which supports and adds to the two minute, 21 second video. Mm -hmm. I mean, even if what's being said doesn't interest you and it should interest you then enjoy the scenery of the west of scotland because uh it's it's just nice it's i watched this earlier on and to be honest i found it relaxing just watching this and, and listening to professor pierce talk about it yep that's the closest i'm going to get to the west of scotland this year unfortunately yeah if if it's the one to it's the one to read if nothing else absolutely right from quite highbrow Take us, take us to our list of the week. List of the week. Now this, this was you. Yes. I, I, to be honest, most of the stories this week were Andrew. So you know, thank you. <sighs> Ranked the most exciting car chases of all time. Thanks to science. <laughs> Thanks to science. Where is the science from? Oh, Money.co.uk. Well-known film critics and scientists. <laughs> and scientists. Yes. It seems that someone has had people watch up to 40 car chases from movies and their pulse has been measured. <laughs> and so the quality of the chase is measured in terms of beats per minute because that's what the heart rate reached. Mm -hmm. 
Now, I actually have seen very few of these, but number one, do, do I want to give away any? Do we want to give away any? Um, it's, hmm. Well, I think you need to read the It's It's from Gavin Braithwaite-Smith, so there is a little bit of tongue-in-cheek in the introduction. There's a lot of tongue-in-cheek. In the introduction the tongue to this. into the tea. Um, but I do like the fact uh, <laughs> that he says, don't write in, it's just for fun, at the end. <laughs> Because <laughs> it's not his list. Uh, there yeah. are there are a few surprises by omission. Ronin is only fourth. Ronin, That's what's not that? An omission, I know it's still included. What's what's Ronin? D- don't just just <laughs> give over. No, I have seen it now. If anyone missed that, I have actually yeah. watched it now. There's, 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 what's the next one I'm Good supposed man. to watch that I haven't watched? I can't remember. I can't. I can't think either. No. I've not seen Baby Driver. Oh, it's quite good. Yeah, French Connection I have on DVD. Actually, I haven't watched that for years. I should really rewatch that. Don't mention any more now. No, I know. That's it. I decided there are that 20 me, that in the stopping. list. Mm-hmm. So obviously, there were 20 that didn't make the cut, he says, using some advanced mathematics. Uh, well, I think there's a full results. Oh, right. Okay. But this well, is never the mind. top 20. I can't be bothered giving them their click. We'll, yes. We'll give, we'll give Gav the click, but not the. If you're that interested, you can go through at the bottom of the article, and there is a way to find out the. The twenty-one to forty, I think. <laughs> but I, I just, I just chuckled at it because <laughs> Gavin's introduction was excellent. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I, I got called out on last week's list of the week. By the way, you did in his latest Club Petro blog email. Ah, what for not writing more? Yes. Oh dear. Yeah. So he's going to rue the day he said that, isn't he? <laughs> Well, that's exactly... I think I'm at half a side of A4. That's one article completely he doesn't have to write then. I know, I know. Yeah. He's, he's worked out how to motivate you. Yeah, <laughs> embarrassment and pee-taking. Anyway, and finally this week, Andrew. Oh, yeah, and finally starts with a fervent prayer from the Motoring Podcast, and specifically me. From Andrew. I don't care, by the way. Specifically from me, that can we stop now, when I introduce this, but can we stop the ridiculously pointless electric vehicle records that every manufacturer seems to feel they need to create or break. So this is the fact that Porsche have modified a Taycan so it is only rear-wheel drive and it has set an electric drift record which is so valuable for a road-going car. But the record, is, and this is actually, to be fair, impressive of someone going round and round in circles, of 42.171 kilometres or 26.2 miles, which ooh, I'd need to pull over after a little while, I would, I'm sure. So this was 210 laps of this skid pan. Mm. The minimum amount they had to reach was 16 laps of the skid pan. And it's worth watching. There is a there is a video that goes with it. The, the the link here is to to an autocar story. If you link to the the Top Gear version, it will probably have an accompanying video in which a certain Mister Harris of Top Gear has tried this first and done the first and and had a go at it. So he actually held the record for about oh five minutes. Which is well worth watching as well. Okay. Just but the margin, God. the margin is massive. I look forward to next week when we'll have the the world record for a woman dri- drifting an electric. 
Oh, look, my EV does this to 0 to 60. That doesn't matter. Stop it. It doesn't matter anymore. It doesn't matter. All electric vehicles are ridiculously fast. They're too fast if someone, as demonstrated by a video that was circulating on social medias recently, they are too fast on takeoff for most humans. <laughs> Only if the humans are moron. I'm sorry. Well, yeah, you've been on the roads. You've been on the roads. I don't, I don't, I don't hold with that. You can control it perfectly well by not mashing your right foot to the floor. Yep. Um, I don't believe that the takeoff, you know, I, I don't know why there is any need for that kind of thing. There isn't. No. Quite. Shall we finish up now? We should. Yes. Parish Notes this week. Special edition came out last Friday. Andrew talking about the Subaru Forester e-boxer. Yes. Which is not a type of short. <laughs> uh, if you haven't, then go listen. Week before, obviously, the GR Yaris that everybody is so sick of listening to, and well, of hearing about generally on the social medias, but I'm going to pimp it anyway because it's still there. And very good. Thank you. Oh, no, the, you mean the car is, yes. Uh, the <laughs> No. <laughs> was it is, for me. but... I was like, whoa. <laughs> another special edition out on friday for those of you who are desperate to hear our dulcet tones lucky lucky people yes you put sods uh that is it for this week but don't forget that between now and next week you can give us any feedback and share your thoughts for the show at motoring podcast on twitter and instagram on facebook and on the contact page of motoringpodcast.com the hub of all our activities please don't forget about our patreon our, uh, and all the other ways of supporting us at motoringpodcast.com support and please leave a review and rating on apple Podcasts or however your podcast app lets you do such a thing andrew What's the best way to get in touch with you? Best way to get in touch with me is via Twitter. If you search for Crack Windscreen, you should find me there. And Alan, if people would like to get in touch with you personally, what is the best way for them to do that? It is Twitter again, where I'm at AJP Bradley. That's B-R-A-D-L-E-Y. Uh, we'll be back, as we say, very soon. But until then, I've been Alan Bradley. I've been Andrew Clues. And safe motoring.